Zoom has ways of recording and they they act differently. Okay. All right. So we're ready. So good evening, everybody. It's great to see you all. Um, all here for this class on the month of Elul. What is the month of Elul? The month of Elul is the month which comes before the month of Tishrei. All right. That's a great rabbi's way of explaining things, which is I didn't explain anything. <laughs> but more practically, uh, the month of Tishrei is the month of the high holidays, uh, the, the days of awe, as they are called. And uh, for some people, it can bring them a lot of PTSD or whatnot, depending on how you were brought up. And, uh, you know, if you imagine yourself being written out of the book of life or something, which, of course, can happen, and, you know, happens to obviously a certain amount of the population every year. But um, days of awe. And then I guess many equate that with days of fear of punishment. And uh, the month of Elul for many people also is a time and really is and should be a time of preparation for the high holidays. We know the main item, the main mitzvah item we do on Rosh Hashanah on the new year is blowing the shofar. As they say, shofar, show good. But uh, the main item of Rosh Hashanah is blowing the shofar. And already in the month of Elul, we start to blow the shofar. Why do we blow the shofar in the month of Elul? Because we are to get ready for Rosh Hashanah. It's a, a wake-up time, a wake-up call. And the month of Elul starts this coming Sunday. So that's what we're going to talk about it. Elul, for many, many Jews, you start to get that feeling of, of Rosh Hashanah, start to get that feeling of the days of awe as the summer is passing. In fact, there's a story, a... Um, uh, a writer in Israel wrote that he, he had gone on vacation on the Shabbat preceding Elul. And the if you were here in Shalom Shabbat, you know the Shabbat before the new month, we bless the new month. And so he went on vacation somewhere that had a small minion, and they forgot to bless the new month, the month of Elul. And uh, he wrote in the newspaper that when they realized their mistake, everybody felt terrible. Ah, oh, how could it be? that uh, we forgot to bless the month of Elul, such an important month, the month of preparation for Shani Yom Kippur. And, and the writer wrote, but the truth is that I'm a little bit happy that we forgot to bless the month of Elul. I got a few more minutes of August that were not destroyed by the month of Elul. So what does it mean? August is the month of enjoyment and pleasure and vacation. And that's... You know, but it's better because of North, you know, school doesn't start until Labor Day or whatnot over here. We start already in the beginning of August. But uh, for many people, August is the month of pleasure and enjoyment. And here suddenly comes the month of Elul. And this year it's late. Many years is a lot earlier and utterly destroys our uh, enjoyment of life. You know, it, it comes like a, a truck and like uh, you've been enjoying life and enjoying swimming and exercising and hiking and vacationing. Well, the new year is coming. Time to shape up. Time to get ready. And, um, but this really brings to four, and this was really going to be my discussion today. Does being a serious Jew mean that we're giving up on the pleasures of life? As I said in the blurb for the class, what, what did I write? What was the line that I said? Um, why does Judaism have to take the fun out of everything, right? In some ways, it might seem like that. Judaism takes the fun out of everything. I, I saw... Uh, a good line today. It said, um, yeah, bacon shows that God has a sense of humor. He creates a very tasty meat and then he tells his chosen people not to eat it. Now I have to say, I've never had bacon. 
and I have no desire for it. But apparently, uh, for some people, it's 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 a real challenge. Um, in fact, I did some culture supervision today, and I was at I was visiting one plant and talking with the uh, owner, telling him about how we don't eat meat and milk, and he's like, "What? Really? I can't believe it." I'm like, "Well, I I don't have any desire. I really I look at the you know the cheeseburgers, as, you know, I want to puke or something." But you know, that's how uh, oh, how did that happen? That's how that's how they feel about it. Um, oh, we lost it all. Okay, um, but that. Either way, just one second. Um, but in, in some ways, you can say Judaism, you know, takes away all our fun in life. Whether for some people it's food, for some people it's their Saturday. Some people really miss that Saturday when they could really be waxing their car and doing all the chores around the house. Never let's keep Shabbos. You know, it's really tough. Um, not really. I go on my walk on, on Shabbos and I see all the important things people do on Shabbos. It really makes me feel bad that I keep Shabbos, you know, <laughs> um, or whether it's, uh, you know, kosher, kosher is another one, but in other ways, you know, wherever you travel, you got to eat the kosher food, uh, family purity, of course, can be a difficult one, whether it's dressing modest, you know, it's definitely not the easiest in a, in a Florida, uh, climate, whether it's, um, I don't know, holidays, got to take up so many holidays, it's tough to find work when you have to take up so many holidays. Uh, but truly, you know, and then on top of that, we're really meant to study Torah all the time. You know, you're all here tonight instead of watching some good Netflix show. So if there is such a thing as a good Netflix show, but anyways, I don't watch Netflix, I don't know. Um, um, but anyways, the uh, I hear there's Schnitzel or Schnitzel or I don't know what, what it's called. Anyways, um, so Judaism, in some ways, seems to take away the joy from life. And there's a famous line in Yiddish, for those who know it, probably you've heard it before. It's hard to be a Jew. It's hard to be a Jew. It's not easy. So we want to understand um, why does God seem to take the fun out of life? You know, it takes the uh, uh, 613 commandments and tells you you want to do this, you want to do that. He creates bacon and tells you you can't eat it. He creates uh, all these amazing, cool things in life. And he tells you you can't have it. So what's the, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the end game over here? And so let's, let's discuss this through the prism and the lens of this week's Torah portion. So that's really the opening. We're going to talk today about, um, you know, is God taking the fun out of life with all of these commandments that he gives us? And we especially feel it during this month of Elul as we come to the Days of Reckoning. And we're going to discuss it through the lens of the six Torah portions. So the six Torah portion starts off. God comes, Moshe comes to the Jewish people and he says, Behold, see, I place before you today blessings and curses. So what are the blessings? The blessings are, of course, the mitzvahs. And the curses are when you don't listen to the mitzvahs. And in fact, in the next three Torah portions, a Shoftim Kiseitzei, the Torah will discuss 170 of the three of the 613 commandments. So 170 of them are going to be discussed over the next three weeks. So he's not just this is not just a you know a fancy sermon not related to anything. He's he's giving this as a preparatory speech before he starts to really dig into us and tell us all the different commandments. 
And he's telling us, you should know, I'm giving you a blessing and a curse. What's going to be the blessing? The blessing are all these mitzvahs that I'm giving you. And the curse is the opposite. You know, all the, uh, I guess, sins. This week's Torah portion has 55 commandments. Parsha Shoftim has 41. Parsha Kiseitze has 74. 170 commandments in three weeks. It's pretty heavy. And um, it's really a departure from his previous sermon. You know, the whole book of Deuteronomy is kind of Moses' sermon to the Jewish people. The beginning sermon is, you know, telling us the story and telling us how we have to fear God and whatnot. But now he wants to get us in the mood of, of actually doing something, not just general fear of heaven, but thinking about the mitzvahs. Um, but what's interesting is that Moshe is telling us that I'm giving you a choice. But typically when you give a choice, you give a choice between two good things, right? So... Um, you know, if I were to be giving you a choice, I would say you can either have chocolate cake or vanilla cake, right? You go to a wedding, they tell you, do you want, uh, you know, do you want chicken or do you want meat? You go on an LL flight, right? They ask you, do you want dinner? You say, what are my choices? And they say yes or no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, but uh, typically if you give a choice, it's a, a choice. There's a choice. If one thing is, is very good and one thing is very bad, there's not really a choice. So Moshe, it's interesting, comes here to the Jewish people and says, behold, I'm giving you a choice, blessing and curse. So that's like saying, all right, you can either have orange juice or you can have poison. Got a choice, right? Everybody has a choice. Um, no, a choice would be, all right, you want Pepsi or cola, right? That would be a choice. At least for some people, I'm sure some people here don't believe it's a choice. But anyways, uh, you know, do you want uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee or Starbucks coffee? Okay, that's a choice. But, you know, what's this choice between you can either have blessing, sugar, or you can have a curse, you can have poison. And in truth, um, the choice is, is actually a difficult one because the truth is that although one is a blessing and then one is a curse, the truth is there is somewhat of a choice. And that's because although Judaism and picking God's mitzvot is life and goodness, but in the short term, the sins and living a carefree life looks good to the point where our sages say that Rishayim, wicked people get their reward in this world, and righteous people get their reward in the next world. It's kind of it looks like that sometimes, you know. But as the old saying goes, no good deed goes goes unpunished. Sometimes those who are very good seem to be punished. Or another line that people like to say a lot: God only takes the good ones, and those who are wicked seem to prosper. And therefore, Moshe is coming and tell to tell us that although the curse, the sins. The wrong choices seem to be good, but you have to think the long-term proposition of it. The long-term proposition is that it's not good. It's like the difference between eating uh, kale or uh, chocolate, right? Or I don't know, maybe not chocolate. It's like the difference between eating kale and uh, the difference between, or eating lots of sugar, I guess. It's kind of how you would describe it, not exactly. 
uh, you know, sugar is good in the beginning, but eventually it'll make you very unhealthy. And kale, I guess, according to current science, is officially healthy. Um, in fact, the Yalkut Shimoni, the Yalkut Shimoni is one of the Medrashim. Medrash means a, a, uh, a you know, expose, exposition on the Torah. It says like this, and I'll translate to English. Maybe a person will say, since God is giving me two choices, a path of life and a path of death, I can go in any path that I want. So the Torah says, you should choose life. And he gives an example. He gives a parable. He says, the example is like Yogi Berra said, if you see a fork in the road, take it. Now imagine you come to a fork on the road and there's somebody sitting in the fork and you ask him, what are these two paths? And he says, one path, starts off nice and smooth, but then it's full of thorns and thistles. And the other one starts off with thorns and thistles, but then it's very smooth. And uh, he tells them, you each have these two paths. You could take the one where, you know, the first few steps are thorns and thistles, but then it gets smooth. Or you could take the other step where the first few steps are smooth, but the rest is thorns and thistles, right? Um, obviously, we're all going to choose the one which ends off nice and smooth. It's not worth the short-term straight path just to end up caught in the weeds. And so the same thing is what Moshe is telling to the Jewish people. He's telling them, yes, you may see that wicked people are successful to an extent. Bilam, Balak were successful for a while. But he says, you should know that that's only temporary. In the long term, their stock is going to tank. That stock is not a good one to invest in. It's, uh, it's, in the beginning, it's smooth. But then it gets full of thorns and thistles pretty pretty quickly. But you, he says, you should choose life. You should choose the good path. Okay. And um, that is why some opinions say that although in other areas of the Torah, um, the Torah says, uh, choose life or death. Over here it says, choose blessing or curse. That's because blessings and curses are not always as apparent as life or death. And so he's trying to tell you, although it's not clear, one path is a path of blessing and one path is ultimately a path of death. What does death mean? What's the meaning of death? Death means it doesn't last. When you connect with God, when you do a mitzvah, that is something that lasts because that connection Last forever. Uh, somebody was here last night for the for the prayer services, and uh, they were very worried about what the primaries were, what the elections, what they were going to end up as. And I said, uh, "Listen, what, whoever wins tonight, in the long term of your life, is not going to matter. In three years from now, you're not going to care who won the primaries uh, in the floor in the primaries in Pinellas County. Uh, but the Marif, the prayer service that you're going to daven tonight, that's going to stay with you forever. You can never lose that." That's what it means, choosing blessing. Choose something that it's harder, it's more exciting to follow the game, to uh, you know, check up on the on the latest politics, to see uh, what you know what's new in the world, what the latest movies. But the things that are going to last for us in life, the things that are blessing, are the godly things. So that's the choice that Moshe is giving us. However, however. And again, I still haven't even gotten to the beginning of the class, which is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's still not so fun, you know, 
why does God have to make the good path not so fun? So we'll get to that. But so far we've explained what does Moshe mean? Moshe is giving us a choice. There's the good choices in life and the bad choices in life. And in the beginning, it's not apparent. And sometimes the bad choices seem better in the beginning. But ultimately, the good choices are, are their stock has a uh, much better long-term proposition. All right, but now I want to discuss, Moshe says a couple interesting things over here. He says, see, I am giving to you today blessing and curse. And he uses the word see, re'e, see. Now, usually in Judaism, when you want to talk to somebody, you say, shema, listen, right? I'm telling, he's not presenting them the choices. He's telling them, here, you have these choices. Like we know the famous prayer, Shema Yisrael, here is the Lord our God, Lord is one. Um, somebody asks, how is death not lasting? Okay, sorry, let me get to the chat. All right, so before I answer, I get to my question. Okay. Um, okay, what I meant to say with the death, I got off track of it there. What I meant to say with death is, Death is lasting only for things that are physical. The spirit and the soul lasts forever. And therefore, the choices that are connected more with your soul, those choices last forever. And so when your soul lives on past your death, those are eternal choices that stay with you. The physical things that you take in your life, they do die and they do end. They are not lasting. And so that's why anything that's godly is called life. Anything that's not godly is called death. Because anything that's not godly is not lasting. If the action that you take is connected with God, then it then it has a it lasts. It, it'll be there forever. If the you know, so there's the famous story of Baron Rothschild, who was once taken uh somebody, you know, somebody told the king, he was close with the king, one of the Rothschilds, I don't know if it's a real story or not, but it's a good story, anyways. Uh, Rothschild was a famous banker family in Europe. And uh, somebody told the king, oh, the Rothschilds, he's lying on his taxes. He has a lot more money than he says. So Rothschild was called to the king's palace and the king said, how much money do you have? And so Rothschild said, let me think. Because you don't know? He says, no, I don't know. So he comes back a couple of days later. He gives him a number and he was lowballing the king. King knew he had a lot more money. He gave a certain amount. It was a lot smaller than, uh, than uh, you know, the king expected. So the king said, aha, you liar, you cheat, you thief, you think you can get out of taxes. I know you have much more money than that. And so Rothschild says, just, just hear me out. You ask me how much money I have. The money I have in my bank is money that's in my bank. But that money I have today, it's gone tomorrow. And when I die, I can't take it with me. The, the amount of money that I told you that I have that's really mine that I gave to you was the money I gave to charity. Because the money they gave to charity, that can never be taken away from me. That's mine forever. That's the money that I have. That's the number that he gave. And so that's the idea is uh, death is not lasting. Correct. So death is lasting. Um, death is lasting. Godly things, though, don't die. And anything that's connected to God is uh, called life. Similarly, that's why we say, the Torah is a tree of life to those who grab onto it. Well, what about all the great sages? Rabbi Akiva was murdered despite being a great Torah sage. Well, it depends how we define life. Uh, his life and legacy has definitely li lived on. And um, so those are anything that's connected to God is called alive. Anything that's not, it's called death. 
Okay. So now let's get to, so those are our choices. We have life or blessing and, and death and curse. Those are our choices. And, um, but Moshe says, he says, he tells us we should see. He doesn't say we should hear. He says, see, I'm giving you today a choice. And the question is, as many commentaries ask, why does he use the word see? And uh, the second question is, he says, Behold, I am giving you <clears throat> today a choice. And it's an odd usage of the word to say, I'm giving you a choice. And the reason is that the word no sane usually means I'm giving you a gift. So as if Moshe is saying, behold, today I'm giving you a gift, you can choose good or bad. Now the good we understand is a gift, but how is the bad a gift? What would make more sense, he should say, behold, in front of you is blessing and curse. Choose the blessing. Why does he say, I am giving you blessing and curse? This is a, a question that Al-Sheikh and other commentaries ask. Why the word no sane? What's interesting? Now, you may have an answer, but again, the reason we ask questions in Judaism is to come to a fascinating answer. So again, we have two questions we're asking. Why does Moshe say, see? And why does he say, I am giving you? Seemingly, uh, it wouldn't be a gift. The, the, the curse is not a gift. Seemingly, the curse is uh, something you should avoid. Why does he say, behold, see that I am giving you today a blessing and curse? Okay. And one final question, which will unlock uh, what we are trying to get to today, is there's something called a targum. The, <clears throat> the uh, literally means a translation. If you open up any chumash, I'll get a chumash here. If you open up any chumash, or most chumashim, on the inside of it, the inside page in the Hebrew, there's a little column over there, and that's called the Targum Unculus. That's the translation of Unculus. Pretty much the first translation of the Torah into Aramaic. Unculus was a, a convert, and he wrote a translation on the Torah. And in his translation, you can also see some interpretation. However, he was not the only translation in his general era there was another one called Yonatan ben Uziel who was uh, who lived in Jerusalem called the Targum Yonatan ben Uziel and that's the one that we want to discuss today and he says like this he translates when the Torah says behold when Moshe says behold I am giving to you today blessing and curse he translates it translates it like this behold I am giving to you today blessing and the opposite. Sorry, blessing, not in the opposite. That's actually not what he says. He says, behold, today I'm giving you today blessing. Now, the word is from the Hebrew word. Does anybody know what the word means? In Hebrew, anybody knows? No? No? Nobody's a Hebrew scholar. You all should come to Israel with me in March. Okay. Chiluf um, means a replacement or a exchange. The Hebrew word for the opposite is hepech. Hepech, the opposite. 
So what's weird is the Targum Yonas and Benazil says, behold, I'm giving you today blessing and its replacement. Replacement usually means you're the same genre, right? So if you have a president, there's a vice president, there's a replacement. You have uh, a rabbi and he goes out of town or somebody replaces him for the week. Uh, hopefully, when the rabbi leaves town, you don't get a priest instead, right? That's not what happens, right? You don't get the opposite. You get a replacement. Um, so why would the Targum Yonasan consider cursing, cur curses, or the bad choices, chilufta, which means a replacement or a exchange for the blessing, as opposed to which would mean the opposite. Seemingly, we would think that blessing and its opposite, not blessing and its exchange. And so that is the question that we're going with. So let me recap what we've said till now in case you're confused. And again, the reason we ask questions in Judaism is not just because we like to ask questions, although we do like to ask questions. As the story goes, a Jew came to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, why is it that you answer every question with a question. The rabbi says, well, why not? Okay. Um, so we started off discussing this week's Torah portion in which Moshe gives us, sorry, we started off discussing the month of Elul. Elul is a month in which seemingly we are reminded that God takes the fun out of life. Suddenly the days of R are coming and we have to suddenly start thinking about all of the uh, you know choices that we're making, and uh, we have to think about are we doing the right thing? And it's a time of year when the rabbi can guilt us to do certain things. You know, it's a it's a great time of year to be a rabbi. It's not a great time to be a constituent, right? Um, you know, suddenly the rabbi can come to you. And, you know, there's, there's a story that uh, a rabbi was uh, discussing at a sermon on Rosh Hashanah how everybody has to be in the, in the you know God's army. And so after his great speech, he comes over to Sam and says, Sam, you know, I spoke today about being in God's army. I never see you in Shul. Maybe it's about time you started coming. So uh, Sam looks at the rabbi and says, Rabbi, don't worry. I'm already in God's army. I'm just in the secret service. Okay. So, you know, but Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is a time of the year when uh, we're reminded, you know, ra again, rabbis can guilt us into things and whatnot. And uh, it kind of takes away the fun of life. And so we wanted to understand, you know, is Judaism really all about taking away the fun of life? So we d dove into this week's Torah portion, which is a related topic. Moshe is telling us that, you know, you've got the fun choices in life, but I'm sorry to tell you those are curses. And you have the good choices in life. Those are blessings. Choose the good choice. Choose life. We discussed how is it really a choice. One is poison, one is sugar. And of course, the answer is, although sugar is a poison too, so pick something else. One is one is uh, poison and one is kale, right? No, okay. That's not a good sale, right? Rabbi comes to give us a sermon. You got to choose mitzvahs. It's like eating a bowl of kale, okay? Uh, I don't know how well it's going to go down. But anyways, um, so we said it's a choice because bad choices are good in the beginning, but ultimately they don't end off well. Uh, you know, it's a, full of thorns and thistles, but good choices, they last forever. And then we wanted to understand why Moshe says, see, I am placing before you today blessing and curse. We wanted to know why the word see. We also wanted to know why curses, according to Jonas and Benazil, is called the exchange of a blessing as opposed to the opposite. And so let us get to the answer. The answer is like this. 
Moshe over here, when he is telling us that we have this choice in life, he does not only want to tell us that we have the choice and give us a fire and brimstone speech and scare us into it, but he actually wants to give us the secret of how to overcome and to make the right choices. So Moshe is not just a great sermon maker and, and, and a scary man and a way of trying to tell us there's blessings and there's curses, but he also wants to give us and to expose to us the essence of the choice that we have going on over here. And that is by exposing the essence of evil, by revealing its true meaning, he makes the choice that we have in life much easier. He not only wants to warn us, but he wants to teach us the true secret of the curses and by that to teach us the way to overcome them. And so Moshe says like this, you should know that even though evil looks so much different than good, it is not the opposite. It is actually, in a sense, a replacement, a exchange. It is a blessing in disguise. The evil is not its own entity, as some religions maybe believe. It is not an enemy of holiness that stands on its own two feet. But rather, God himself gives us the evil, the curse, as a gift to us. That is a gift. It's a gift that God is giving to us. That's why it's called a replacement. Because evil is not its own entity that we are fighting against. Evil truly is a gift from God. It is not separate from God. It is a gift from him. Why? Because the choice to do the wrong thing comes from a very holy place. What's that holy place? It's the place that God is giving us free will. When you think about it, the greatest thing that a, that a human being has is the ability to choose. That's one of our greatest gifts. Many of the other things that we have are, are similar in the animal kingdom. You know, they, our ability to choose and to make the right choices, that is the greatest gift that we have. And the greater the desire for the mistake, the greater the desire for evil, if we want to call it evil, the greater the good choice is. And therefore, evil is not evil, but, or I should say the bad choices. Evil, I don't want to, I actually don't want to confuse evil because the bad choices are really good in disguise. It gives the person the ability to uplift himself and to raise himself up to a much greater place than he was before. And when you understand that, <clears throat> when you understand that the evil or the either the bad choices are only there to uplift you, then it doesn't seem like a issue. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about the snake. We brought a story that the Alta Rebbe quotes from the Zohar. The Zohar says that the Zohar gives an example, it gives a parable. It says that there was a king that hired a harlot 
And the king hired the harlot, and the harlot was hired to seduce his son, the prince. Why? Because the king wanted to test and create a strength of character in his son. And so he hired a harlot to seduce his son. But in truth, he wanted his son to pass the test. Not only did he want his son to pass the test, the harlot herself wanted the son to pass the test. And we discussed this at length last time, right? So on the one hand, she has to try her best to seduce him because only through that will he be elevated to his greatest strength. By seeing how difficult it is, that will be able to elevate him to a greater place. When we think about, you know, I always think about it like this. Um, you know, people who fail in difficult situations, we don't judge them. And they have the greatest sympathy and the greatest excuse. But the people who pass the hardest tests in life, those are the ones we look up to. Those are what we call great people. Great people are the people who, again, people who fail tests, we, I don't, we don't call them bad, fully understand what they're going through. Many of us here have failed lots of lots of tests in our life. But those people who have passed and withstood very difficult situations, those are the ones that we respect the most and they are elevated to such uh, high levels. The Talmud tells a story, gives a really, really great story. Um, the Talmud tells us a story of one of the greatest sages. His name was Mar Ukva. Mar means mister. So Mar Ukva, the story was like this. It's, 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 the Talmud gives it in short. Rabbeinu Nissen, who's a commentary on the Talmud, gives the story at length, and he tells a story like this. He says, Mar Ukva was a very wealthy man. And one time, he saw a married woman. Her name was Chana. And uh, he really wanted to uh, have her over at his house, let's say. Okay. Uh, however, she refused. He was married. She refused. And he became very sick. And the doctor said, this guy is lovesick. He is lovesick for Chana. He's going to die. Uh, and the doctor told the rabbi, you know, let her go for a visit. And the rabbi, obviously, the, you know, the doctor wasn't uh, very religious, Jewish or whatever. The rabbi says, by no means, no. This is not, uh, you know, married lady. You can't just go over to make him feel better. So then the doctor said, all right, at least let her go over and talk to him. And the rabbi still said, no, what type of, you know, this is not, not allowed, not okay. And in fact, this is uh, actually, this is quoted in Jewish law. In Jewish law, it says that, uh, you know, it's completely forbidden. Even if somebody is lovesick, uh, we can't, you know, make a lady go talk to him. Anyways. Uh, the ultimate end is that Mar Ukva got healthier, at least uh, physically, I don't know about men, spiritually. And uh, in the meantime, Chana, the lady that he wanted for a visit, her husband got in big, large debt, and he was put in prison. This was, you know, during the times of Romans. So, you know, debtor's prison. And uh, every day she would visit him. And uh, he would cry to her and she would cry to him. And it was such a very difficult uh, thing. And uh, so one day she finally decides she's going to go to Mar Ukva. She can't handle it anymore. She's going to go to Mr. Ukva. 
Marokva, uh, Mar who, uh, you know, wanted her for a visit. And she'll go ask him for money. What could she do? She's in a very difficult situation. So she goes to Marokva, goes to her house, and she asks him for the money to get her husband out of prison. And uh, he gives her all the money. He gives her a check. And uh, after he gives her the check, she tells him, all right, you gave me the money, but please control yourself. All right, I came for the visit. You gave me the money, but please control yourself. And you know what happened? He controlled himself. And the end of the story is that uh, she came back and she paid off the debt and her husband figured out, you know, where the money came from, figured out that she went to visit him. And her husband decided that he is going to uh, separate from his wife. He was sure that his wife had sinned with Marukva and he was sure that uh, a terrible sin had happened. The story ends off that uh, a couple of days later, Rabbi Akiva is uh, walking and he sees this Mr. Ukva Marukva going on his horse. He was a rich guy going somewhere, or as we would say today, going in his Mustang. And uh, he says, I want to speak to that guy. So students tell me, you want to speak to that low life? The man who tore apart a family for his selfish desires? Why would you want to talk to him? And Rabbi Akiva says, no. Don't talk Lashon Hara. Don't talk evil talk. I can see there's a light shining on top of his head. And so Rabbi Akiva went to go talk to him and he found out the story from him. And then he went back to Hannah's husband and told her the story. And uh, ultimately, uh, the couple, Hannah and her husband, came back together. But Rab, uh, Rabbi Nissim says, what is it that Hannah told Mar Ukva that enabled him to overcome his passionate desire. Because you can imagine, you know, he had gotten almost de deaths, you know, death from love for this woman, and suddenly she comes to him willingly. What did she tell him already? And here are the words. He says like this. He told him, behold, there's nothing I could do. I, you know, I'm, I'm in your house. There's nothing you do. But she said, I want to tell you, you now have an opportunity to acquire everlasting life, be careful. Do not lose your great reward for something small. Because generally to reach, for a person to reach such great heights takes a lot of work. And here you have the opportunity to reach these great heights in one moment by holding back your desires. And so Chana, those are the words that she told him. And so Chana was telling him the secret of life, that's the secret of life, is the klala, the curse, gives us these great desires, these great passions towards other things, whether it's making more money, whether it's delicious food, whether it's waxing your car on Shabbos, whatever it is. But as he told him, and that's what we have to remember in our lives, those desires are only there because that gives us the ability to overcome them and uplift ourselves in ways that we could not have done before. When there's no challenge in life, then you don't raise yourself up. Our sages say the word nest, uh, uh, sorry, the word for test, which is also, also comes to the word net, nisayon. Nisayon means to test in Hebrew. 
and also means nest, which can also mean a miracle to uplift because a, a life test has also the ability to uplift us. That's the idea of these tests. Ubacharta b'chaim, choose life, which means that we are given these choices in life, but those choices are there to uplift us. The test is a moment of uplifting. Evil is not just there because God had a wicked sense of humor to give us bacon and something good that we can decide not to eat. The bacon itself, people ask, if God didn't want us to eat bacon, why did he create it? Well, first of all, so there could be football. But number two, no, I'm kidding. Um, so first of all, bacon, because if you're not Jewish, you can eat bacon. But number two, God created bacon so that we can overcome the desire for it. This is one example. And so it is with many, many other things. And uh, this is really so different than, let's say, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud believed that uh, ultimately uh, the ultimate depths of a human being is desire and passion. And the truth is that the ultimate desire, according to Judaism, is not the desire, but the desire to choose the right thing. The desire to choose the right thing is even greater than the passion itself. So we are created with a strong desire and passion towards certain things. But even deeper within our own psyche is the desire to overcome. Because when we overcome something, we know it and we feel so much better, so much greater. We are uplifted to a greater place. I was I was looking up uh, this article. Uh, actually, I actually want to share it. It's pretty fascinating. Um, talking about the Jews in Samarkand, the Jews in Russia. So um, there was a time period in which uh, in the USSR and the Soviet Union, you weren't allowed to spread Judaism. It was a very, very difficult time to uh, be Jewish. And um, okay. So just one second, let me pull this up. So I, I came across this great article which really depicts what we're trying to say here. Uh, somebody wrote a book about uh, the experiences, this is from Lubavitch.com, the experiences of many of the people in Samarkand. There's a book, Samarkand, where men became giants. And so it's a whole, it's a story about the people in Samarkand. Samarkand was a city in the Soviet Union where many of the Chabadniks, and actually non-Chabadniks too, but many of the religious Jews who were defying the USSR lived and they had these underground uh, teachings. And I found it very fascinating reading this article. I've never read the book, although I should. And um, I just want to read a paragraph of it here. Um, so here's the paragraph. Unlike much of the literature of the present era, replete with overwrought prose and tired imagery, Samarkand wasting the time of telling its story, the story of people. These were people who, despite the great physical and psychological struggles of living under communism, displayed courage and determination of Maccabean caliber. While much of Russia's survival under communist terrorism turned men into small, craven animals in Samarkand, Zion seemed to walk the earth. And um, he also discusses about um, one more paragraph I wanted to share with you. Samarkand shares hundreds of unique and historic, heroic stories about Chabad Lubavitch life in the Soviet Union. But in some sense, this book isn't about heroes at all, 
Rather, it is about the heroic abilities that exist within ordinary people. And that's really what this is about. That's really what we're discussing today. That's just one story where you can read about such people, but that's really what this is today. You know, we don't have to live in the USSR. In some ways, actually, the Rebbe would point out that living in a free society brings its own difficulties, in some ways, more difficult than the USSR. In the USSR, evil is in your face. It's right there. The Russians are trying to stamp out Judaism. And so you know how it is when someone pushes you, you push back. You're going to stand up for what you believe in. But when it's subtle, when it's just slow assimilation, let's just be like everybody else. Let's just not stick out. Let me not uh, pull out my tuna sandwich on the airplane. Well, you know, I'm going to smell the plane while everybody else there is eating whatever whatever chazerai they get. Let me not, uh, you know, pull out my uh, my tefillin in the airport while, you know, the, the Muslim guy there pulls out his mat and, and prays and bends down and everybody looks at him, right? Let me not, you know, make it make a scene over here. But that's really where greatness is. When you're faced with a challenge and it's hard and you have to stand up to somebody and say, yes, we have 20 holidays in the month of October and, and September. No, I'm kidding. Not, not that many, but yeah, well, actually we do have 20 holidays, but not all of them have to take off work. Um, you know, that's what separates regular and great. And this is what Moshe is telling us. A, that we should see. A person, a person should see things, should look at life with a discerning eye. It's not enough to listen to God, but we have to see how things are. You know, similar to, I think we spoke about this by the snake too, also, you know, looking at the snake and its source. The idea is that we have to look at life with these lenses. A, that's how much it's telling us you have to look at it. You have to contemplate deeply. Remember when there's passion or desire or um, peer pressure thrown at us, those are moments where we're given the ability to overcome. We shouldn't look at it as if there's a war going on because if we look at it, if it's, it's a war, you know, you always feel like you missed something. I've, I've quoted this story before, but there's a story there were once two great brothers, two great tzaddikim, Rabbi Zusha and Rabbi Melech. Rabbi Zusha and Rabbi Melech were two great tzaddikim, righteous people. And uh, it's known, the tradition is that Adam, his soul contained all of our souls. He was a general soul, contained all of our souls. We bought, we're all branches from his soul. So one brother turned to the other, Rabbi Zusha turned to Rabbi Melech and said, I don't understand you, brother. We're taught that we were all part of Adam, which means that you were also there when Adam ate from the tree. Let me ask you, why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you stop him eating from the tree? So he says, listen, the truth is I didn't want to eat from the tree. But, you know, if we ne- if we didn't eat from the tree, at all, I would always wonder, what did that fruit taste like? So I said, all right, we'll eat it and then we'll find out. You know, I'd wonder all my life, what did that tree taste like? You know, sometimes that's what it is in life. So we see these choices. I got to keep Shabbos, but you know that 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 Super Bowl that's going on in the Super Bowl don't happen on Shabbos. The, the World Series. That's happening on Shabbos. I, if I miss that game, you know, if I if I miss that 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 cheeseburger, what it, you know, everybody raves about how good it is, man. I gotta go get that 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 Philly steak, wherever it is, that 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 item. If I, uh, you know, whatever your desire in life is, if I just, I'm gonna wonder all my life, did I, you know, deny myself something in life? 
And so this gets back to the beginning of the class. Judaism, on the one hand, we say, is denying us the pleasures of life. But we, we shouldn't look at it that way. This is what Moshe is coming to tell us. He's telling us, don't look at it as if those pleasures, there's like a, you know, two things fighting. Are you going to take this or that? Are you going to take the boring route that God will reward you for? Are you going to take the fun, exciting route that maybe you'll regret later? No, the fun, exciting route is there as a stepping stone. That's why it's there. It's not there for you to choose. It's there for you to jump on top of it, for you to climb higher. Don't think that you should take it. It's, it's, they're both there for the same purpose. The blessing and the curse are both there for the same purpose. And the curse is there to make your blessing that much of a greater blessing. And again, the greatest thing in life for a human being is not the passion and desire, but the desire to choose. And that's unique to human beings. And that's why when we choose the right thing, when you speak to people, oh yeah, you know, I chose, I got up early and I worked my tachas off and I became successful. Like, why do people feel good about that? Because they made a choice. They didn't just float through life. They made a choice. They chose to do something. The, the, innate, the inner um, desire and passion. So you have so many people who, who do so many crazy things or sports or any of this. What gets them going is that desire of choosing not just floating in life but uh the ultimate goal of a human being the greatest uh pinnacle that a human being can reach is choosing the right thing and that's why Moses says i'm giving you a gift the passion and desires for the bad thing that's a gift because that enables you to become the greatest version of yourself see look I'm giving you this gift of these two things today, the blessing and the curse. You should choose the blessing. That will uplift you. That will make you the greatest version of yourself. Um, I'll end off with one uh, one thought. Um, there's a, a met, there's a met, there are some midrashim. Midrashim are expounding verses of the Torah. And uh, there's a medrash that says that one verse said, when Moshe told the Jewish people, Zachor eight aser amalek, remember what Amalek did to you, right? So Moshe is telling the Jewish people, you have a mitzvah to remember Amalek. Amalek are, you know, the evil people we have to get rid of. So the Jewish people told Moshe, how can we remember Amalek when we have another mitzvah Remember the Shabbos. How can we do both of them? Remember Amalek, which are evil. Remember the Shabbos, which is good. So Moshe told them, no, it's not comparable a cup of wine to a cup of vinegar. One is a cup of wine and one is a cup of vinegar. They're both cups, but one is wine and one is vinegar. And the whole discussion here doesn't make any sense. First of all, how, how big of a deal is it to remember there's good and there's bad, Right. How big of a deal is it to remember that pizza tastes good and spinach tastes bad? No, okay. Uh, you know, what, what's what's the big deal? Uh, and what is Moshe answering them? Oh, they're both cups. One is a cup of vinegar, one is a cup of wine. So the answer is that the Jewish people are saying that how do we live with these two lives? There's the Amalek and there's the Shabbos. There's the good choices and the bad choices. Amalek signifies life, living living life. It says they wanted to cool us down from Judaism. Amalek. That's really what was going on. They were asking this question that we're discussing today. How do we have 
Shabbos, the greatest of all missiles, which is also one of the most difficult for many people. And on the other hand, we have Amalek. And so Moshe told him, you should know they're both cups and they're both wine and vinegar. What's the thing about wine and vinegar? Those come Friday night, you might get vinegar sometimes, but uh, oh, vinegar comes from wine, right? Vinegar comes from wine. And uh, the truth is they're both from the grapes. But one is a, is a cup of wine that you're supposed to drink. And one is a cup of wine you're supposed to distance from yourself. And that's what he was saying. They're both cups of wine. They're both blessings for God. That's what Moshe is answering them. How do you live with Amalek and, and, uh, and Shabbos? How do you live with the good choices and the bad choices? They're both cups that come from grapes. They're both blessings that come from God. But you have to remember, one blessing comes by drinking it. And one blessing comes by stepping on it, by staying away from it, by not doing it, by uplifting us in life. And so we always have to remember that we have two cups in life. We have blessings in life. We can float in life. We can move smoothly in life. But sometimes in life, we're hit with these big choices. We're hit with these big moments. Sometimes it'll come to us in the month of Elul, uh, where we're, you know, we're reminded to get off surfing from the beach and start studying Torah. Sometimes we're hit with it in the month of uh, March. Whenever these moments come to us, we have to remember what Moshe said. See that I'm giving you this gift. When you remember the source of the choices in life and why it's there and what the ultimate goal of a human being and what ultimately lifts us up. And this is, I guess, the most important point tonight that we said. What raises a person to their ultimate heights is the choices that they make. That's ultimately um that's all that's going to last your choices that's the song that i like to quote the choices that you make today are all that's going to last the train is moving down the track it's moving awfully fast but anyways that's another song for another time uh you know the train of life it's moving down the track and uh, all you have today are the choices that you make and uh in truth like i said and you don't have to look far and, and it, speak to people the choices that they make are really what the hard choices are really what makes them feel the most fulfilled. So we have the choice. We can take the easy path that ends in thorns and thistles. Uh, we can, uh, you know, sit and uh, buy the uh, non-kosher ground beef, which is a dollar cheaper. I don't know if it is anymore because everything's so expensive. Uh, or we can buy the kosher meat. We can, uh, you know, go to work on uh, Sukkot, you know, Say, oh my gosh, I already took off Rosh Hashanah. I took off Yom Kippur. Now I got to take off Sukkot. Or we can go sit outside in a sukkah where it's boiling hot and be eaten by the mosquitoes. But we're doing God's mitzvah. We can choose to sit at night and watch some Netflix. Or we can come to watch some high flicks with the rabbi. Right? You can watch some uh, uh, Jewish entertainment over here. These are our choices in life. And so do we want to be like... And so that's why I always find... Uh, reading these stories of people like Samarkand or other inspiring Jewish heroes, just to remind us in life that it's these are regular people making superhuman choices. And that's really, God gives us those that ability to make these superhuman choices in life. And so read those stories. Those stories are always great. There's plenty of them around. That's why I hate the books that make these, uh, super, these people actually look like superhumans, where they're regular people just like us. And it's their choices is what makes them great. And so each and every single one of us has the opportunity to become great. And it's our choices that will make us great. And so choose the blessing. Thank you for coming. That's my uh, that's my spiel for today. I'll open up for questions. I'm going to stop the recording.
And if anybody has any 